everybody. Welcome to the latest edition of the Postcast, production of the cast for Star Tribune and Pokes Authority. I am Davis Potter, Wyoming well, beat writer for the Star Tribune, and I'm joined, as always, by our managing editor, former Wyoming beat Nick, Brandon Foster. Brandon, uh, happy opening day to you. Uh, to you as well. I, uh, I'm, re- I'm not... <laughs> wearing it but i'm ready with my uh colorado rockies nolan arenado jersey that i bought on clearance uh after he got traded to the cardinals because um i'm a spiteful person i guess no because uh two birds one stone i always kind of wanted a rockies piece of attire uh with them being the nearest mlb team here and uh it was cheap because he's now on my favorite team so yeah go birds so you're so you're wearing that jersey right now as we speak uh, if I was smart, I would, but it's in my closet. <laughs> I'll put it on after this. Okay. I mean, it's a podcast. I should have just said yes. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Who's, who's going to fact check me? <laughs> <laughs> uh, hey, man. Well, uh, at least uh, at least you uh, root for a team that actually has a chance to uh, win the uh, NL Central this season, as opposed to one that does not. So. I think um, every team has a chance to win the NL Central this year. Well, I can unequivocally say that the well. Pittsburgh Pirates <laughs> absolutely do not. <clears throat> it's a division for the taking, but perhaps yeah, not by Pittsburgh. Yeah, um, it, it's but it's really exciting, you know, that the quest for sixty wins and looking forward to the trade <laughs> trade deadline where they where they dump their their top pitcher or position player because they don't want to spend a few extra bucks. It's that's all that annual tradition is always fun to look forward to. <laughs> so, yeah, I didn't like those couple of years there where you guys were actually good. That was uh, that was not convenient for me. Yeah, well, you didn't have to worry about it lasting because, like I said, they had they had they had Garrett Cole and those guys that, I mean, to be fair, they probably couldn't afford to pay him, but I don't think they were even gonna consider the uh, consider the possibility of even paying him that kind of money. So yeah, and then you know just shipping everybody off before before uh, spring training or anybody that's really good. But hey, they do they do have an NL Rookie of the Year candidate in Cabrian Hayes, so I guess that's the one good thing to to look forward to, I guess, until he gets traded eventually. There you go. Yeah. You, you may think we're off topic with this discussion, <laughs> but Nolan Arenado did play for the Casper Ghosts. So there you go, bringing it back to Wyoming. Yeah. Uh, hey, man, always trying to find a way to uh, intertwine some some local connections. Uh, <laughs> but, Brandon, we'll, let's go ahead and dive into uh, some Wyoming athletics. And, uh, you know, we, we talked about Wyoming's offense last week, so we'll uh, – We'll uh, take a look at Wyoming's defense uh, heading into uh, spring football practice, which is scheduled to start on Tuesday. Um, and then uh, we'll uh, talk a little bit more, more NCAA tournament now that uh, both the men's and women's tournaments are uh, down to uh, the Final Four uh, and uh, some uh, very wild comments that one high-profile women's basketball coach uh, made after her team was was bounced in the bubble there down in Texas. But um, before we dive into that, Brandon, I uh, just for anybody who may have missed it, um, Wyoming has its first basketball player in the transfer portal in Quan Marble, uh, and he has already announced that he will uh, reunite with former Wyoming coach Allen Edwards at Loyola Marymount. That's where uh, where Allen is an assistant coach now after being fired from his job at Wyoming, I guess about a year ago now, uh, last March. But um, I, I don't know, Brandon, not, not really all that surprising. Um you know, he was a, he made 13 starts this year, but 
Um, he ended the season coming off the bench and wasn't that didn't pl- get a ton of minutes in the Mountain West tournament, particularly their, their their last game of the season at San Diego State. And you know, with, with a team like Jeff Landers who's going to be guard slash wing oriented, you know that that's a position that's that's getting crowded very quickly. And um, you know, if you already got. Guys like Brandon Fo- Brandon Foster, uh, Kenny Foster, um, <laughs> and uh, yeah, and, <laughs> and Hunter Maldonado, and then Xavier Ducell emerged late last season and, and started into the season as a starter and one of their better shooters. Um, and then you're adding a, 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 a transfer from Utah and Brandon Winsel next year, who's probably going to be a heavy contributor for them. So. Um, you know, I guess just just the way it was it was trending for him towards the end of the season, just not, not really all that surprising. Yeah, and I think you know, if if I'm not mistaken, there's uh, immediate eligibility for anyone who ter- uh, transfers right now because of uh, uh, kind of the- assuming 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 the one time transfer passes, which I'm almost oh, okay. certain it gotcha. will. Okay, yeah, I, I mean that, that that's why that's why the transfer portal is so busy right, right now is in anticipation of the the one time transfer waiver being implemented at some point this year. Sure. Yeah, and I think I saw in the in the SEC at least the average someone tweeted out yesterday was like four players leaving yeah. per program. Like I'm not sure what it is in the Mountain West, but I think uh, it's I mean kind of a reality of college basketball in general right now that it's hard to avoid turnover even if things go well. Um, throw in the added complication of uh, you know the this uh, waiver and and it's it's kind of to be expected honestly. Um, with as good of a year as they had that you're not going to bring every single piece back. So, uh, yeah, I mean, it sounds like, you know, a lot of mouths to feed um, right now at, at that position. So, um, you know, it, I guess, like you said, uh, shouldn't shouldn't be too shocked. No, and and it may be a situation, too, where he, in his mind he thinks, you know, you know I go from – you know, a fringe starter, um, you know, at Wyoming and, and, and probably, you know, in his mind, probably thinking coming off the bench going forward to now you go to, to a more low profile school in the West Coast Conference who, by the way, I mean, outside of Gonzaga, I, I really couldn't name one school in the West Coast Conference uh, until I actually looked up where Loyola Marymount was, uh, <laughs> what conference they were in when I was, you know, writing this story and found out they were in the same conference as Gonzaga, but <laughs> had no idea, but um, you know, it, it could be a situation where you go from from that kind of role to uh, you know a lower tier program where maybe you you, you think you can start uh, and go in there and be a you know a huge contributor for them and right. and, and obviously there's there's a comfortability there right with the, with the coach that initially recruited him to Wyoming and Allen so um, mm-hmm. you know you know best of luck to him and uh, hope it works out for him yeah and you can always lie and say you're at the sister Jean school without you know trying too hard <laughs> yeah I play for Loyola yeah yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, as you mentioned, though, you know, if you don't have at least one player leaving your program right now, um, you're, you're one of the lucky ones because, <laughs> like I said, with that, with that one-time transfer waiver most likely um, being passed at some point by the NCAA later this year, um, I mean, it, 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 the transfer portal is just, just crazy right now. But um, we'll, we'll see if, uh, if anybody else decides to, to transfer out. But as of now, um, there's it, just one for Wyoming. But, Brandon, let's go ahead and transition into, into football and talk a little bit about um, this Wyoming defense uh, heading into the spring, which, like a lot of other positions and like the offensive side of the ball, um, mm-hmm. you know, the, the theme is – and it's this way with – 
with a lot of teams, given the the extended eligibility that the NCAA has granted amid the pandemic. But a um, lot of experience, a lot of guys coming back. Uh, and Wyoming actually is set to return all 11 starters on the defensive side of the ball. Uh, and and they obviously got a boost in, in that department with the return of Garrett Crawl, um, Braden Smith, Asaias Gandy, um, some of those seniors who have elected to, to take advantage of that extra year and return for another season. But um, it's a little bit more interesting on the defensive side of the ball as opposed to the offense because now you, you're getting the players who opted out of last season coming back. I mean, five of the six players that opted out were on the defensive side of the ball. You get those guys back for the spring, which Craig Bowl has said that, you know, all the players that opted out have have since returned to the team. So they're expected to go through spring drills. You know, it, I mean, normally you would sit there and say, or look at the depth chart and, and look at the guys who ended the season as starters in some of these positions and say, well, they, they got there uh, by necessity, right? Because of all the opt-outs and some of the injuries and just the, the attrition in general forced some guys, particularly on the defensive line, uh, to step into more prominent roles than they were going to be playing um, if none of that had happened. But I am curious maybe to see more on the defensive side of the ball if there might be more real competition at those spots given the way some of those guys performed last year. I mean, you know, you t- we, t- we talk about Braden Smith. I mean, he's, he's an older uh, – you know, he's a senior um, who actually got beat out back in 2019 by Rowan mm-hmm. Weber, who's a redshirt freshman that year and started all but one game at, at safety. Um, but Braden's an older guy, season vet, who's just went through his first full season, albeit it was obviously cut short with the pandemic, so they didn't play – basically play half the season. But, you know, is, is that a position where there's going to be more competition, What you know, now that you're bringing back a player in, in Rome and really all the players that have opted out, which includes Solomon Bird at defensive end, Mario Morit at defensive tackle. You know, what, what are those guys going to look like coming back? Are they going to have to shake off some rust? Are they going to have to, you know, get back in playing shape, things like that? So, you know, you, you think about not only safety, but I just talk, mentioned Mario Mora with uh, Jordan Bertinoli, who was really the real breakout star for them last year, who's the walk-on from Casper, the Natura County product, who was really an afterthought on the depth chart going into last season. And then all of a sudden you get the opt-outs. Uh, and some of the injuries that, that piled up on their on their defensive line. And, mm-hmm. you know, he finds himself as, as a starter by the end of the season and, and I think finished as their third or fourth leading tackler. Actually had – I'm going to pull up these stats real quick. Yeah, finished as their fourth leading tackler with 31 tackles, uh, six and a half tackles for loss, two and a half sacks from his defensive tackle spot. So I- – I guess I'm saying all that to say that you would expect maybe some of these guys to go right back into their starting roles, but I don't necessarily think it's a given, uh, given how some of these other guys performed in their absence and should make for an interesting competition, maybe not only the spring, but heading into the summer and into the fall. Yeah, I think, you know, a lot of times uh, the the things you have to work through to build good depth aren't maybe fun in the moment, but they can leave you better off and in the long run, whether it's, you know, injuries or, or just lack of, uh, you know, bodies with, with the opt-outs, like you mentioned. But, um, yeah, I mean, it's it's kind of – it feels like the default now for this program that they're, they're going to have a good defense, right, which is kind of um, – that's a testament to the program Bulls built, I think, because that very much was not the case <laughs> the first – three uh three i'm trying to think yeah years of 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 his tenure so um even with all the turnover at defensive coordinator they've had uh those expectations uh built in and 
Um, yeah, I mean, depth, depth is, is a huge part of, um, you know, maintaining that consistency. I think, you know, it, you can obviously still only put 11 guys on the field at the same time. So you need, you need, uh, standout players in addition to depth, but, um, it'll be interesting to see who, who, uh, gets their job jobs back and who, uh, maybe made a, made a case last year to, to stay there. Yeah. And that's sort of the blessing in disguise, right? I mean, sort of, as you just mentioned, the fact that, um, you know, you had, you did have so much attrition, particularly on the defensive line, um, that, you know, you ended up getting so many guys that you didn't necessarily expect to play, um, significant roles, a bunch of snaps. Um, so, you know, mm-hmm. going forward, uh, that, that's only going to help you. And, um, you know, particularly on uh, the interior of the defensive line again, um, Rabante Holt, you know, Craig Bull said earlier in the offseason that, um, you know, he, he's coming off his second major knee injury and uh, he probably won't be, he's not going to, he's not expected to be full speed until sometime this summer. Um, so right now he's sort of limited and I don't even know if, if he's going to be um, available for spring at all. Um, but, you know, he's their mm-hmm. starting defensive tackle when he's healthy, or he's, has been that the last couple of years. Um, so, again, I think that's another chance for Jordan Bernoulli or Cole Godbow, some of these guys, um, you know, to get some more reps. And, and, and even at linebacker, uh, you know, that was that was the position that was the big question mark for Wyoming last year after losing Logan Wilson and Cash Malawiya. But that that's turned that's gone from being you know one of the biggest question marks on this defense to to a strength now. I mean, given what Chad Muma did last year, I mean, seventy two tackles in six games. He finished third in the FBS in, in tackles per game. Um, led him in tackles for loss, and mm-hmm. you know if he has another big year like that. He's going to quickly get on some NFL teams' radars uh, in terms of being a possible draft pick there at middle linebacker. And then you had Charles Hicks, you know, filling it outside linebacker. Um, and, and really had, had a solid season in his first year as a full-time starter. Um, you know, finished uh, sixth on the team or seventh on the team in tackles. But, you know, you, you got another young linebacker in Easton Gibbs who was Charles's uh, primary backup last season, actually started a game late in the year when, when Charles got hurt. And uh, he actually finished third on the team with 42 tackles. So, um, you know, the, the linebackers actually accounted for more than 30% of, of the tackles last year for this Wyoming defense. And and, and now you, you've got three guys there that have sort of been in those wars and, and uh, built up that experience over time. So this is a – I guess it's a good problem to have if, if you're Craig Bowl and – and uh, Jay Savell, the defensive coordinator, is mm-hmm. you know you ha- you had a lot of questions last spring going into this, and 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 this spring you don't have nearly as many of them, and, and really you have to figure out you know maybe outside of, of of you know your primary guys like a Garrett Crawl, like a Chad Muma, um, some of those guys you know who, who's going to fit where and who, who's who's going to get the majority of the snaps. Yeah, yeah, and I, I mean obviously the stats are all a little wonky last year with with teams having played a wide variety of, of games, but um, even, you know, just looking at the averages, this was a, a, a defense that was, looks like 24th nationally in, in points per game, which is obviously uh, a, a good place to be. It's actually fourth in the Mountain West, though. There's, you know, a lot of good defenses around this conference, but, um, you know, on, on top of that, this is a defense that obviously had to kind of carry the load for this team last year, and there were offensive struggles, which, you know, tends to lead to, uh, 
the defense maybe being on the field a little bit more. I mean, I think that slightly evens out when you have a run-heavy team like Wyoming that can that can chew some clock up. But um, you know, if if you look at yards per play, it's even better. It's it's 14th in the nation, and um, you know, I think it seems like there's no reason to think this won't be a strength for this team again. It's just you know we've talked so much about the offense. I think it comes down a little bit to those those question marks marks on offense. Can they get answered? And uh, otherwise, you're you're kind of nitpicking on the defensive end between okay, is this a really good defense who can give us a chance to win every game because we're only giving up two touchdowns, or you know, can they steal us a game here and there? Can they you know throw a shutout, or can they uh, you know force five turnovers and uh, you know create their own their own scoring that kind of stuff? So um, obviously, it's uh, either way, it, it feels like you know you're you're maybe asking more out of one side than the other. But I mean, that's sort of the reality of where we are at coming into this season and uh i mean it's it's good at least to have one side that you feel like you can rely on so i mean i think yeah playing more questions on the offensive end right now for for me at least um looking at this team no i'm with you i mean wyoming's defense should should be one of the best in the mountain west again next year i mean look even with this patchwork defensive line that they had last season uh you know they still finished in the top 30 nationally in, in rushing yards allowed and points allowed and, and you've got basically your entire two deep coming back. So, mm. uh, you know, if they're not, you know, at or, or near the top uh, in a lot of defensive categories next year, something went terribly, terribly wrong. Um, because, yeah, I mean, like we, like we said, this there's so much experience and, and, and really probably, probably the most depth that they've had um, in a while on that side of the ball. Uh, I think the, the one area that I think they need to, they're going to have to improve in is the pass rush. Um, now, look, they in terms of the stats, mm-hmm. they finished with 17 sacks in six games last year. So when you look at it on paper, it wasn't terrible. The, the only problem was, particularly without Solomon Bird, who was their sack leader as, as a freshman All-American in, back in 2019 before he opted out last year, um, they had to come up with a bunch of different ways to generate that pressure. And, and and their leading sacker last season was Chad Muma uh, at linebacker, and he had three. So mm-hmm. unless you're playing a three-four and it's a you know it's a it's an edge rusher or an outside linebacker, you know a linebacker leading you in sacks isn't great. Yeah. So uh, you know I mean they're they're, they're going to have to uh, generate some more pressure with their front four, and, and I think obviously getting Solomon Burr back in the fold, I think that's going to be a huge upgrade. But I still think they need some guys, some more guys to you know develop in that aspect because. You know, he, yeah, he led him in sacks back in 2019, but he he only had like six, six or six and a half in 13 games. So mm-hmm. um, they still need some some other guys in that front four, and particularly some of these these younger uh, defensive ends, maybe to to really step up and 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 give them that sort of uh, of threat off the edge. Yeah, and I mean, I mean, just using the the Super Bowl as an obvious example. I mean, you, you can see in games like that where if if you can generate pressure just with your front four without having to get too too creative with blitzes everything kind of follows right. suit um for the whole defense from there yeah no totally so um be, again I, I think it would be interesting maybe to see some of the some of the competition at at some of these at some of these positions where uh Wyoming's getting some of these players back who opted out last year and if some of these guys are just gonna automatically go back to the top of the depth chart or if they're gonna have to earn those positions back so um that'll be interesting to to watch and i, I don't 
I don't know if that competition will start in earnest this spring or if it may not start in, in, until the, the fall, but um, I think it's at least going to give uh, Jay Savell a, a chance to, to reevaluate some things and see where these players coming back off of the opt-outs are physically uh, and, and mentally just in terms of, uh, of the playbook. So, uh, Brandon, uh, I think we can go ahead and take a break there, um, and then when we come back on the other side, we'll, uh, we'll talk some more NCAA tournament. Cool. Welcome back into the postcast, and uh, Brandon, we're uh, pretty close to uh, crowning a national champion in, uh, in both men's and women's side in college basketball. Um, how's that? How's that final four looking, man? <laughs> um, well, I, I my final four is not great, but I had a few um, correct predictions on this podcast. I'm going to say I said, <laughs> uh, "quote." UCLA is going to go to the final four. Uh, don't listen to it. Cause then I immediately uh, said that I was kidding, but I did say it. So that's, that's not nothing. Um, in, in reference to the fact that there's always, as you were saying, a team that uh, shouldn't even be in the tournament at that 11 seed play in. Uh, and then they, then they go on a roll and that's sure enough what happened. Uh, and I also said Missouri would win. Uh, and while they lost their first round game, uh, Mizzou won in the second round. Um, because Kansas lost. So I, I got a couple of predictions, right? Yeah, there you go. Well, but know. yeah, no, my bracket's terrible. <laughs> <laughs> well, I also said that Houston was going to make the final four and, until I s- didn't have them making the final four. Cause I said I was going to change my pick to Illinois, which I did. Um, oh no. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I think, well, I guess we should say for anybody who isn't aware, um, the final four is set. It, the men on the men's side and the women's side. Um, men's final four will start on Saturday, and it is um, consists of Houston, UCLA, um, Gonzaga, and Baylor. And then on the women's side, the final four teams are Stanford, UConn, um, South Carolina, and Arizona. And the women's final four actually start Friday night. Um, but yeah, I think the the particularly the men's tournament. I think this is sort of representative of the kind of college basketball season it was because outside of Gonzaga and Baylor, you know, before Baylor had its COVID pause and it took them a little while to sort of get their mojo back, I guess, particularly on the defensive end. Um, and nobody else was dominant, and I mean, it seemed like everybody it was wide open. Like, yeah, Michigan looked dominant at times, Illinois looked dominant at times, but I mean, from wire to wire. Nobody outside of Gonzaga and Baylor in college basketball really had long stretches where they just completely overwhelmed their opponents. And I think this tournament sort of 
is showing that, right? I mean, you've got you mentioned that UCLA going from the playing game as eleven seed to the Final Four, and you you had a, a twelve seed Oregon State in the Elite mm-hmm. Eight. Uh, you had a Loyola team who was probably underseeded. I mean, that's a good team, but you know they get to the Sweet Sixteen as an eight seed. I mean, you had a lot of double digit upsets. Um, I think more than usual, and I think that's just sort of indicative of, of the way this season was, where it was yeah. pretty wide open outside of two teams. I mean, you could make the argument maybe that you know Gonzaga was really the only dominant team since you know they're vying to be the first undefeated national champion since uh, Bob Knight's Indiana Hoosiers back in 1976. But before Baylor had the had to go on that long COVID cause, I mean they were rolling too. Mm-hmm. I, I mentioned this on our. Uh, uh, episode where we were previewing the NCAA tournament back when the field was originally announced a few weeks ago. Um, but Baylor was as good as as Gonzaga, or at least they, they looked as good as Gonzaga did. And, uh, you know, they, they were supposed to meet in a non-conference game back in December before they had to cancel it because of the pandemic. And I said then uh, on that podcast a few weeks ago that I, I thought we would ultimately get the Baylor-Gonzaga matchup that we were all supposed to get a few months ago. And I, I still – Think that's going to happen, and Brandon, as you're aware, I actually picked that in our office pool bracket. But uh, so I'm, <laughs> I'm rooting for that for uh, more reasons than one. But um, go Kooks. Yeah, thanks. Um, <laughs> but you know, outside of Baylor and Gonzaga, but there was a lot of parity in college basketball this season. I think, I think this uh, this tournament and the way it's played out has been reflective of that. Yeah, and um, you know, I. It it feels almost like people have already crowned Gonzaga just with how dominant they've been, even though there's two more games to win. But um, I am feeling very good about that pick. And, you know, normally I feel like it's boring to pick the number one overall seed in your bracket, but just the way everyone had talked about Gonzaga this, this year as being just very clearly ahead above, uh, I think that's, that's panned out. Um, I mean, USC looked really dominant, or uh, Southern Cal until – you know they they come in and just get whooped by Gonzaga. I mean it was it was not even close. So um, yeah, I think uh, it's it's been a very entertaining tournament. I mean Oral Roberts is probably like half an inch away from making this uh, the Sweet Sixteen as a 15 seed. Yeah. Um, I am glad uh, that UCLA pulled off the upset against Michigan. Um, you know I not because I think a program that's won more championships than any other can be that much of a like feel good Cinderella. But just because it, it was such a fun and, and upset filled tournament, I didn't think it would be reflective if the final four still ended up being all ones and two seeds, you know? Um, so I'm, I'm glad that, you know, there's an 11 in there. Also side note, I don't know what the heck is up with 11 seeds. It's like, you know, yeah. free ticket to the final four or something. I mean, I think LSU was an 11 back in the day. Obviously George Mason was, was a huge upset run. Loyola, I yeah. think was an 11 VCU. Um, very, very weird. Um, but yeah, I, I, um, I, I think a, you know, just, just to make things more interesting, that's, uh, that's cool that they got in, but also B it, it is reflective of the kind of turn of tournament that the PAC 12 had, Seemingly out of uh, of nowhere, you know, the Pac-12 just couldn't lose a game um, until you know the the Elite Eight at least. Um, and you know, I I you know I think that's always good uh, to have some some fresh teams uh, and, and fresh conferences. I mean, nobody gives the Pac-12 respect whether or not they deserve it. Um, and uh, you know, it's it's cool to see that even if 
it means that you know a blue blood at the end of the day is is the one carrying the torch for them but yeah i was shocked i mean i i saw the end of that um uh the oregon state game against sorry i'm i'm spacing out here oregon state the the game before they played Loyola um early on and uh, uh, uh oklahoma state right and yeah they looked absolutely terrible the beavers did down the stretch of that game and i was just like Loyola is going to beat them by 45 points and then uh you know good defense can can do can work wonders so pac 12s had a very very interesting tournament and uh yeah it's it's been a lot of fun it's been great to have it back obviously um but yeah i think gonzaga is living up to the hype for sure yeah um and aside on your on your pac 12 reference there like it's it's great that the pac 12 has made this run it's great for that conference i guess it's great for bill walton who you know, can, can you used to reference that conference as a conference <laughs> of champions, even though I don't know the last time that um, they actually won an NCAA tournament. But um, I really wish people would stop using the NCAA tournament as a way to gauge how good a conference is. Uh, there's all this talk about, oh, well, the, the Pac-12 is so undervalued this year and because of, you know, the, the, the run that all those teams have made in the mm-hmm. NCAA tournament. I just that's that's so incredibly dumb. In in a, in a one game setting in a tournament, anything can happen. You know, if you get a guard, you know, go off for 35, 40 points on one night, you're done. Like, I mean, you know, because like Loyola and and Illinois in a seven game series, Loyola's not winning that series. Um, Oral Roberts and Ohio State in a seven game series, Oral Roberts isn't winning that series. But you know, you get these teams in one game scenarios, and anything can happen. I just think it's done to be, to make assertions about conference. Oh, the the Pac-12 was was so great and a lot better than people thought it was, or you know that's the that's the perception that's out there now. It's like no, the Pac-12 really wasn't that. I mean, yeah, were there good teams and better teams than maybe people thought because people on the East Coast don't get to see these games in the Pac-12 because they're starting at midnight and you you know you just don't have as many eyeballs on on the Pac-12 or even the Mountain mm-hmm. West for that matter, but. Um, you know, I mean, look, the Big Ten was the best conference in college basketball all year. I mean, I, I don't, I don't need, I don't need a three week tournament to t- to tell me that when a thirty game regular season told me that beforehand. Like, I, I'm, I'm going to put a lot more stock in twenty five a twenty five thirty game sample than I am one or two weekends where a team gets hot. Yeah, and I, th- I think it's, um, you know, it, the sample size thing is 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 I think a very valid point, and I think it's also especially with UCLA. Um, when you see these kinds of runs by teams that are like disrespected, quote unquote, or, or you know they're they're a double digit seed, but they're a traditionally power conference or or power uh, program, or you know even just the Pac-12 in general, you know it's it's a power five league or power six, whatever you call it in basketball. I mean, I think what happens with some of these teams is is even if they weren't that good in the regular season, if they're in these big conferences, they probably have some dudes in their lineup, right? They have they have the right the recruiting rankings and the talent. And if it all clicks and you have that talented of players on your roster, even if you've been crummy all year, you know, you, you can win three, four games in a row. So yeah, I, I think uh, a lot of it is, is up to chance. I don't know. I, I think uh, I'd love to watch a seven game Loyola Illinois series, but I, I take your point. Nonetheless. I mean, you just look at Oral Roberts as a prime example, right? Like Max Acemas, Kenny O'Banner, like they're really, really good players. Right. Um, but they still finished fourth in the Summit League. And in the NCAA, they look like world beaters. It's like, <laughs> wait a minute, how did this team not win their regular season conference championship? And 
Um, but you know, you, you get really good players uh, against a, a, a team that's honestly more talented in a one game setting. Again, I mean, Max Asmus was scoring 25, 30 points a game in the tournament. Um, now, granted, he was the nation's leading. Did you know there's a B in his name? I did. Have you heard this? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I've never seen anyone more bewildered by anything in my life than the announcers <laughs> being like, did you know it's spelled A-B-M-A-S, but it's pronounced? It's like, cool, man. There's a lot of names that are non-phonetic. Can we move on? <laughs> well, uh, anyway. Brandon, have you, I guess by now you've probably heard that, uh, you know, how, how you're supposed to pronounce his name, put some respect on his name. Yeah, I uh, I think Andy Katz's head was about to explode <laughs> on CBS. Like, yeah. I don't know, man. <laughs> um, anyway, that that's uh, that's a whole other topic for another day. But Brandon, I can uh, I can't mention the uh, men's or women's NCAA tournament without getting into the comments that Baylor coach Kim Mulkey made after uh, her team was eliminated by UConn in the Elite Eight earlier this week. Um, and before we get into this, I'm just going to go ahead and read off her exact quote, um, so that people know if you, if you haven't seen him or haven't heard him, um, this is what she said after her team was eliminated in her first game press conference. She said, uh, I don't think my words will matter, but after the games today and tomorrow, there's four teams left. I think on the men's side and women's side, they need to dump the COVID testing. Wouldn't it be a shame to keep COVID testing and then you've got kids that end up testing positive or something and they don't get to play in the Final Four? So you need to just forget the COVID test and let the four teams that are playing in each Final Four go battle it out. All right, first of all, I honestly thought – because I, I saw a lot of people tweeting about this after their game. And I, I didn't think it was real. Like, I thought somebody just made this up. Like, hi, there's this joke that we you know we, we're dealing with uh, a, still a, a pandemic, and uh, this coach has just spoken fun about you know we should just stop testing. So I, I, I didn't even I did not believe this when I saw all these tweets just being fired off on my timeline. So because I, I mean I almost I couldn't believe it honestly. So I'd actually go and find the video and, and listen to what she said, and sure enough, this is what she said. It wasn't a joke. So. There's a lot of different places you can start with this, Brandon. Um, do you want to start with this, or do you, you want me yeah, to start with this? Because I've mean, I've got thoughts. It's it's just it's really frustrating. Uh, it's it's you know it's frustrating. We've been in this pandemic for like over a year now, and you know just looking back like what a year and a few months ago when when all the big media organizations were sitting around trying to come up with this fake disease that we could put in our newspapers to sell uh, copies, and we're like, hey, let's. Uh, Let's just come up with this fake thing called COVID. I never thought that a, a, a college basketball coach would just see through it a year later and be like, psych, what if you don't test? I mean, she she really blew open our whole scheme. No, sorry, I'm joking. Um, but, but like, it's – it's it, the video is wild. Like, I watched – I saw the tweets about it as well, but I watched it for the first time today. And it comes out of nowhere. Like, she wasn't asked anything, to my knowledge, that prompted that response. Right. Like, she – was like giving a generic basketball answer about the way the game went and then out of nowhere just really felt the need to, to get that across. Um, and like, I don't know, I think um, to some extent, like I actually can sympathize with, you know, th- this idea, um, you know, especially 
not as much her, but like putting myself in the player's shoes of, you know, okay, we miss, you know, the tournament doesn't happen last year. It happens this year, make it all the way to this once in a lifetime thing, you know, especially say you're, you're, you know, in your last year or whatever. And you, you know, you finally make the final four and then you get a, a test back that says you, you know, have this disease that personally to you probably will just be like a, a crummy flu if you're young, healthy, 20, 20 year old. And, and I, I can sympathize with the idea of, you know, I don't care, man. Just like, let me go play even if I'm sick. Um, but like there's uh, some really easy, quick holes to poke in that. First of all, like one, the athletes really aren't in any position to be, like if that decision were made, which it it won't be, but if that decision were made, it'd be on behalf of the athletes, right? Like the athletes wouldn't have a voice in that decision because they're student athletes, they're amateurs, they don't have a seat at the table where these things are made. It's not like the NBA or the NFL, um, right? You know, they don't. Even if that were a good argument, like it wasn't. It's not an argument the way that college sports is currently structured that they can make. Uh, you know, they they don't have any uh any say so um there's that element to it obviously uh but then on on top of that you know if if you really felt this way and you know thought it was that uh terrible and it could it could still happen obviously there's been a game canceled this tournament um but if you thought that that was such a terrible outcome worth avoiding you know the the nba and the nhl successfully pulled off playoff bubbles where they didn't have any you know any star players or, or really, I don't think almost any players uh, missing games because of COVID once they got into the bubble, um, they locked everything down. There was nobody in, in those, in those stadiums. Now, I don't know logistically how easy it would have been to do that with a full tournament, but I mean, you have, you have fans at these games. You can hear them. I mean, it, you can't have it both ways. If you're that terrified of the idea that someone could spring a positive test and, and screw up the competitive balance of these games, like, then you should have locked it down more. If you know you can't, you can't have both fans in the stadiums and minimize exposure. So like it, it's been shown that the bubble can be done, and they didn't go. I mean, obviously they put it all in one in one state, but they didn't go entirely in that direction. And you know, maybe they couldn't have. I don't know, but um, you know, I, I like you can't have it both ways, right? You can't say we want the fans there, we want some of the atmosphere back, and we also want to entirely eliminate you know the risk. So. Uh, on top of that, I mean, the most generous possible reading of this is it's it, it like the optics are extreme, insanely bad. Like a half a million yeah. people have died, and like you just like that's that's just a dumb thing to be saying. Um, but yeah, I mean, I sympathize with how much it would suck for a player if that happens. But like you, like but- speaking of bubbles, like this is coming from someone who clearly is living in one. Yeah, but isn't that what we what the protocol has been for the last year? Like that's the thing is like <laughs> what if what have the, the coaches, the athletic departments, the players been working this whole last year to do? Like the question has been ever since this virus came to this country and became a real issue, the, the it's been okay. What do we have to do? Not only in college athletics, but but professional every sport, sports around the world. What do we have to do so that we can compete safely and get back on the court, the field, whatever, in a safe manner? Like that—that that has been the mm. question, right? 
that's been the the that's been the end end game here. And well, first of all, for her to sit there and say, "I don't think my words will matter," like that that's disingenuous off the bat. She's we're talking about Kim Mulkey, right. one of the most high profile women's college basketball coaches in the sport, making more than two million dollars a year. By the way, um, I mean she, she knew what she said was going to reverberate and was going to to catch a lot of ears and 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 make headlines. Like that, that's first and foremost. Um, but it, it's yeah, it's. I mean, what what she essentially is saying is she's okay with these players, which, by the way, are quote-unquote amateurs, unpaid athletes, not knowing whether or not they are positive before taking the floor and possibly creating a super spreader situation just so that they can, they can play a game. Look, I understand that this has been a frustrating situation for everybody. And, and, and we it, it appears... You know, with now having vaccines, that we're getting closer and closer to getting this thing under control. And I, and I understand that that it's it's been frustrating. And I'm trying not to just go completely in on her because the emotions of, of your season ending and that is very fresh at, at the end of a very frustrating year, um, where basically you've you've had to ask not only your coaching staff but your players, hey, just go to the just go to the gym, just go to the facility to work out and go back to your apartment or house and just stay there. That needs to be your routine for the next, what, eight, ten months so that we can even be in a situation where we can get the season in and even get to this point. Like, I understand all that. Like, it's, it's been frustrating for everybody and particularly um, these athletes and coaches that have tried to get a season in amid a pandemic. But we're prioritizing games here over the health and well-being of players, by the way, who I'm sure part of the recruiting pitch from all these coaches is, yes, you want to come to school A to win a championship, to get better as a player, maybe get, go to the professional level, develop your game where you can get to that point. But also, the person that's in a position of leadership like this, if I'm a, if I'm a player or a parent of those players, I'm also thinking, like, I'm going to send you to this coach who part of her job is to look out for your, your well-being and your health, right? Like, that's just sort of part of the deal. And for a coach to sit there and, and, and get to this point and say, nah, you know, just screw the testing. Who, who, who cares about the, the Final Four team left and, and if they get COVID or not? And, you know, as long as we can just get the games in. Like, right. It, it, and it, it's, it, it's not only irresponsible, but it's, it's extremely selfish. Because this affects more than just the player or the coach making that decision, right? This, this isn't an individual sport. You know, if you're playing golf, where you're out there all by yourself, if you want to take the, the risk of, of not being tested and go out there and compete, well, then that's really only affecting you because you're out there all by yourself. No one's really around you. So that only that only affects you. But we're talking about a basketball team here where not only is, the, is a player who might have the virus but not know it because they're asymptomatic, they're around their teammates all the time, around their coaches all the time, around their trainers all the time. Every member of their traveling party, you know, t- that's at the tournament with them, they're around them 24-7. So, again, you- you're talking about, and I, d- I don't want to say encouraging it, but, I mean, that's essentially what she's saying is I-, I care more about just these players being able to play the game, even if they don't, they may have the virus and not know it, than you know, I, I, I care about them being healthy and their well-being. It just... Right. 
I, I mean, I, I don't even know, like, the words to, to begin to explain how irresponsible that is, is, is I mean, it's, it's crazy. It's wild. I mean, I, I really couldn't believe that, that she, she said what she said after that game. Yeah, and I mean, like, unless she's just entirely clueless, I don't think there's, I don't think she actually thought that that was going to happen, right? Like, there, there's just no way that they were going to be like, oh, yeah, cool, uh, good idea, let's, let's just not test anymore. Like, that was not uh, any one of the ways that this was going to go. For, they weren't going to just not test for the Final Four. So, I mean, yeah, I mean, I think some of it maybe is frustration, like you're saying, but I also wonder, you know, um, I mean, and we can spend three hours talking about uh, COVID hot takes or whatever, but, like, uh, this thing has become, it, from the start, really so politicized, um, and, and you know, you kind of just wonder if she just wanted to, you know, fire that take off because she thought uh, there are people who would agree with the take, and uh, maybe, I don't know, I'm... Uh, I'm sure there are people out there cheering her on for what she said, and and perhaps knowing Baylor, uh, there are people in the Baylor community cheering her on what she, for what she said, and and uh, I don't know because the al- the alternative to that that she actually thought that that was a possibility that the NCAA would just be like, yeah, cool, let's let's stop testing is uh, that's that's hard for me to believe. That's kind of mind boggling. Um, so yeah, I mean, I mean, the whole thing has sucked. Nobody enjoys. Uh, uh, you know, living in a pandemic, much less you know. Uh, I mean, it's like you said, they've been working for this all year. It's 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 been a feat, I would say, to be able to pull off this tournament semi responsibly and and to kind of undermine all that with that comment. It doesn't do anybody any good. Yeah, that that was the last thing I was gonna say about this is is the fact that I, I don't I really don't understand why you even say that to not, not only as you mentioned the fact that she brought it up unsolicited, so it, the comment mm. wasn't even necessary, um, but for her to say something like that, the you know the week before the final four, where again you, you've worked your players and and, and other players and on other teams have worked everybody's done the same amount of work to try to get to this point and has gotten to this point and, and you get to the tournament and, and you're a weekend away from finishing it. And she knows damn well that the only way that you're going to complete the tournament is by everybody continuing to test negative. And you've gotten to this point and you've got your team, uh, you know, at least from, from the reports I've read, these teams can't even leave the, the floor of the hotel that they're staying on. So they've gone through all these measures to do, to get to this point and and to stay quarantined on the on the floor of the hotel they're staying in and, and and the players have given up basically the normal college experience right for students um you know to to basically quarantine them, themselves for the last 6 8 months just to make sure that that you can get to this point and then to, for her to uh to, to to say something like that at this point when you're so close to the finish line it just uh, it is mind boggling Yep, I mean, uh, in many facets, it's uh, fit right in with a, a year of, of people saying things that don't make much sense. But um, yeah, I mean, it's it, it's not really. I don't know. We we could talk all day about it, but it's it's uh, it's not a good look, shall we say? <laughs> that is the understatement of the day, my friend. <laughs> um, all right, well, Brandon, let's go ahead and uh, get out on that. 
Uh, as always, be sure to uh, check out Trib.com and PokesAuthority.com for all of our coverage. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter and Facebook at PokesAuthority. You can follow me on Twitter at Davis E. Potter. You can follow Brandon on Twitter at BFoster91. Um, this podcast is on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, and Omni. So be sure to um, download it, subscribe, uh, give us that five-star rating on uh, your preferred platform. This podcast can also be found on our website at the Postcast link, which is updated weekly every time a new episode is published. Um, Brandon, I appreciate you joining me as always, and uh, we will talk to you guys again next week. Sounds good. Thank you.